Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Recorded live. The form of fashion I need life. Now look at the neighbor. The neighbor. Let's get some life in here on this morning. We have been teaching, ministering from the book of Hebrews. Uh, this has been a very long series, longer than I had anticipated. I didn't know how long actually it was going to take, but we have finally in the 11th chapter with two remaining after this one. Well, there are a total of 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews, of the epistles of the Hebrews. The theme of the book of Hebrews, the overall theme that runs throughout this passage, this, this particular epistle or letter of, uh, we know not who the author of this letter is, but we do know that he was under the anointing of the Spirit of God and therefore, he is, he is a servant. He was a servant of God. And we know that throughout this uh, epistle, the, the, the most prominent theme, and there are a number of themes running through here, is the superiority of Jesus Christ over every prophet, every priest, every man or woman of God that has come before Jesus. He is superior to the angels. He is superior to the devil. He is superior to uh, world leaders. He is superior to the strongest individual that may be on earth. He is superior to the fastest human being on earth. He is superior to everything and everyone. And everything will bow down to him. Everything will obey him at some point. Every knee, the Bible says, will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So the theme that runs through, the, the principal theme that runs through the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ. The other thing, the other thing, one of the other things that we see running throughout this book, or this epistle, is faith. And today, I want to talk about living faith. Just the first uh, three verses of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me now as we prepare to read just these first three verses. I ministered on last Sunday, but I saw something, and I want to go back and read through this. And and, uh, I won't be before you too long on this one because this is our Holy Communion service, and we want to make sure that we have enough time to be able to, to worship the Lord in. Um, communion service on this morning. So turn with me to your Bible, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're just going to read the first three verses. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the world was framed by the word of God. 
things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God, our Father, we reach you this morning. We humble ourselves before your mighty hand. We give honor and glory unto you because we know that you're the only true and living God, that there is no God besides you. We come because your word, Lord God, and serve us to come. We come, Lord, because we desire to hear from you. We come, our Lord and our God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross of Calvary, to hear what he has done, to know what he has done, to grow in our faith and our knowledge and understanding of who our Lord is and who you are, God, our Father. So we pray now that you will move in this place, that you will minister your word by your Holy Spirit. And every, every spirit in here that is not like you, we command to leave right now in the name of Jesus. And I know this room, Lord God, and from the roof of this building to the very foundation of this building, God, I know that with the precious blood of Jesus, I declare it your, under your authority. And I give you glory now, God, and I thank you for the moving and the teaching and preaching of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I often use this quote that I read decades ago, whose author I do not recall. A superstructure is only as good as it is defined at its foundation. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a parable of two types of builders, one foolish, the other wise. A parable can be a quick analogy or as long as a short narrative. And a narrative is nothing more than just a story. An analogy is defined as a conclusion that if two or more things agree with one another in some respect, they will probably agree in others. In other words, Jesus used parables to make a comparison of the kingdom, the reign, or realm of God to something that is in the world, whether it be agriculture or human behavior. Parable causes us to think deeply about the truth Jesus is trying to get us to rightly see, to rightly understand, and to rightly apply to our daily lives. Now regarding the two builders, Jesus makes a subtle yet powerful, thought-provoking, brief opening statement that is that if heard and if understood would divinely impact the hearers' lives forever. It will make the difference between living a life of despair and hopelessness or a life of hope and expectation in the face of great difficulties. Because let's face it, every one of us at some point or some stage in our lives encounter challenges that we never expected. These challenges sometimes knock us down, take the wind out of us, cause us to begin to think that it's hopeless, that it's life. It's hopeless, and that everything that we try to do 
is hopeless. Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Glory to God. If I can put this in perspective before continuing, it would be most helpful, I believe, to you. There were many dry riverbeds in and around Israel that made this parable appropriate for those to whom Jesus was speaking. Those tempted to put up temporary shelters in flat, dry riverbeds might find themselves swept away in the flash floods that a sudden downpour could create. That was known to happen in that area. So by Starting this parable with the word, therefore, Jesus was and is pointing back to what he just finished saying, namely this. Don't think that just because you came to church, you heard my word, and then went out and did good works in my name with impure motives, that that will earn you entry into heaven. Don't make that mistake. Don't think that way. People do good things, but with impure motives. Everyone who speaks sweet words to you in your ear doesn't mean they really care about you. Everyone who smiles in your face doesn't mean they like you. Everyone who does something for you don't necessarily do it for the purest of reasons. In the Bible days, we call those folks false prophets. Today, in our day, we may refer to them as snakes in the grass, shysters, wolves in sheep's clothing, slick or smooth or some other colorful word. Jesus, because, just because someone does something under the cloak of Christianity, and I know this might make somebody angry, isn't a foolproof method of determining what fully comes from God. Uh, Jesus knows those, in other words, who are and who are not his because he sees them from the inside out. I love that. As I was preparing this, Jesus doesn't look on the outward appearance of an individual. He looks from the inside, because that's where all the mechanisms are. That's where all the planning is located. That's where the conniving and the plots and the schemes and, and all the the, the, the this honest thing takes place, and all the honest things take place as well. But Jesus does not look at the outside only. Unlike us, who can only see 
the outside. He knows their every thought before they think them. He sees why they do what they do before they do it. He has a front row seat into the deepest, darkest regions of their heart. That is their mind. David in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, describes the depth of God's familiarity with us in this way. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then, of course, God says, I, it is I who search the heart. And so I, the Lord, in other words, search the heart. Not everyone who comes to me, Jesus said, saying, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, so, in, so that you don't understand, misunderstand what I am saying here, no one can earn eternal life because entry into heaven can't be done by your works. Jesus said, John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, says, you must be born again. Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus says, very, very, I say unto you, except a man is born of spirit and of, born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So that you don't misunderstand, no one can earn eternal life and entry into heaven by their good works. Eternal life cannot be bought. In fact, the cost of eternal life far exceeds the human effort. You and I can never be good enough or do enough good to earn eternal life. We simply cannot. Why? Because eternal life is a free gift. It's already been paid for. Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, came into the world he suffered and died on the cross at Calvary to bear your curses and your sins, my curses and my sins on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. He could do it because he lived a perfect, sinless life. And because he lived a perfect and sinless life, God accepted his his sacrifice in payment for our sins. And therefore, 
on his death, on his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension into heaven, we now have an opportunity to have a relationship with God, something we've never experienced before, never had before. And it's amazing. We can never earn eternal life because it is a gift. This gift, my brothers and sisters, is not received by your good works. It is received by faith. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. So I want you to make I want you to understand that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Jesus says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a false man, a foolish man rather, who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house as it fell. And great was its fall. No similarities here between the wise builder, if you will, and the unwise or the foolish builder. Both had the sayings of Jesus, heard of, they heard Jesus saying, both heard the sayings of Jesus, both built a house and both encounter the same problems in life. No one is exempt from the trials and the struggles of life. Whether you are Christian or whether you are non-Christian, you are all, we are all subject to the same issues and challenges in life. The difference is that one, the difference is that one who truly heard Jesus' word built on what he heard and when the trials of life beat incessantly against him at every turn, it could not defeat him because his faith isn't in his abilities, but his faith is in God's ability to keep him safe and secure in the midst of life's soul that is so deep. We all need someone to hold on to. We need someone that can anchor us when the trials of life begin to take their toll on us, when the winds of life begin to blow so hard that life becomes unsteady and uncertain. But God, hallelujah, you can hold on to him by faith in Christ. The wise man understood that if he was going to build a meaningful life, he would first have to prepare for it. And many of us today want things quick, fast, and in a hurry. We don't want to take time to cook a decent meal. We want to slap in a, a TV dinner, if you will, or something, a frozen dinner, and we want to slap it in the microwave and Hit it for about two or three minutes, and, and then we want to eat it and run. But life is more than just a TV dinner. Life requires us to slow down and learn to appreciate what we have before us. Life requires us to contemplate deeply 
what we want to do, what we want our future to look like, what we want to do in building our lives, a, secure, a security for ourselves. We need to do that. And so the wise man understood that if he was going to build a meaningful life, he would first have to prepare for it. Everyone must prepare. He understood that his preparation had to be built on faith in Christ, mutual respect of others, truth, integrity, knowledge, wisdom, and perseverance. He understood that what he wanted to achieve would not happen without holding on to and applying those seven character keys to his daily life. He understood that he would have to work hard at digging through all the manifold distractions, fluff, and worthless hindrances to uncover the foundation upon which he would ultimately build a secure and stable life for himself and his family. You see, it wasn't just about him. He had a plan, he had a purpose in before him. When our boys, when our boys, when our boys were very young, is to tell them that before you get yourself locked into or get caught up with a woman, get your education. Either start a business or get a job and and secure and make your future secure. Earn something. Have something in order to offer to the wife that you're going to marry one day. And have something that you can live a secure life and be able to provide for your wife and your children when they come. Don't just live a foolish life. Don't just live for now. Spend every penny that you earn. You need to prepare yourself. And then, after you've prepared yourself, Pray and ask the Lord to send you the woman that he wants you to marry. You cannot just go through life expecting that everything is going to be okay because everything isn't going to be okay. We all have to prepare for our future. Jesus, God in Proverbs says, consider the ant. Now, the ant does not plant, but the ant gathers and toils and gathers and, 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 and puts away for the winter month. Because the ant understands that in the wintertime, there won't be anything for them to grab hold of, and they will starve to death. But people are not like that, not very many wise people sometimes. They don't understand. And so I had to instruct my son, this is what you need to do. That is not the case now with the, with the person who foolishly squander their life away doing things that will never lead to a stable life. They make no plans. They have set no long-term goals for themselves. They have no dreams they're willing to pursue. A fool is lazy. He or she thinks 
they can get ahead in life by their good looks or their physical shape or because they can suck up to their bosses or they can stand on street corners and play on the kindness and generosity of others for their livelihood. Now, there are those who are truly in need and incapable of finding employment for various reasons. But there are those who are too lazy to get out and find a job so they can hang out on the and so they can hang out at the stoplight, stop sign, hoping to get just enough money to support the drug or liquor or cigarette habits. There are those who engage in human trafficking to earn a living. And there are those who come up with excuse after excuse why they are the way they are. It's the white man's fault. It's the black man's fault. It's the woman's fault. It's the man's fault. Everyone else is to blame for the decisions they made or the lack of decisions they made and the effort they put in to having a, a meaningful life. They take no responsibility for their own shortcomings. A great number of them, however, refuse to take a deep look at themselves in the mirror and acknowledge the lies they have both been telling themselves over and over again. I call that confabulation, where they tell themselves a lie enough times that they begin to actually believe it. That's a foolish person. Now, I mentioned about those that stand on the street corners at the light and at the stop sign and, and hoping that others will give to them. There are people who are legitimately unable to find employment. They are doing the very best they can to survive, and they don't want to be out there doing what they're doing, but this brother is that they had to do either that or starve to death. And I respect those people. With all my heart, I respect them. I was leaving the house one more one afternoon, and before I walked out the door, God says, I, I had $20. I pointed out to God, I want you to take that $20 bill with you. He did not tell me why he wanted me to take it, because I was content to leave at home, but he said, I want you to take that $20 with you. And I said, okay, Lord. And so I walked out, and we were out, my wife and I were driving out, and we were in the parking lot uh, of a of a craft, a craft store, and just as we were pulling out, I saw a gentleman and I saw his wife out there asking for money. And it dawned on me why the Lord wanted me to take that $20. And so I forgot the $20, but my wife had $20. But God is good because he knew that there would be a $20 bill there. And so I asked her for it, and I called the lady over, and I handed her the $20 bill. And the lady was so thankful. She literally grabbed my hand and kissed my hand and thanked me for, for what I did. But, what, but God is the one that instructed me to do this because he knew that she would be there, her and her husband, and that they, had, they were in need. Who they were, what, they, what color they are, the race they were is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is God does not care about your outer shell. He only cares about your in, inside, your interior person, your soul. God does not see the way that you and I see. And as Christians, we must never see 
the way the world sees or the way we used to see. We must always see through the eyes of Christ. Always. So it does not matter who the person was. What matters is that God knew that that person would be there at the time that I would be there and that that person was in need and that I would be, that I would give that person that $20 bill. And so I gave the glory to God because he knew beforehand. So there are people who really want employment but cannot find it. So, the foolish person won't do that. They won't take the time to dig through the myriad of refuse in the world to find true stability because it's too much work for them. When I was coming up, guys would say, I want to find me a, a, a rich woman. And I hear the girl say, I want to find me a rich man. They, don't, they did not want to work and earn a living. They wanted to mooch off somebody else's hard work. That's wrong. So they settled for a certain existence. Why in the world, when clear sound wisdom has been imparted to a person, that he or she would ignore it? Let some of us start to feel puffed up ourselves and say, well, you know, that wasn't me. I did this and I did that. And, and all of these things, whoa, slow down. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. All of us at one time or another resembles the foolish builder. All of us. So unless so let us not cast stones because we all live in a glass house. Every one of us. Got something that we've done. That if somebody threw a rock through the window, it would break. Scatter our world. We all have done some things. We've all been foolish in some way or another. So if you want to build a meaningful life on earth and for eternity, you must have a sound foundation. If you want what you build to stand when the storms of life come against you, you cannot build your house on the sands of mediocrity. The sense of mediocrity is that I'm just going to do enough just to get by. No, you cannot feel on the sense of mediocrity because there's no stability there. There's no security there. Your God, you, you need the foundation that only comes from Christ. Uh, I love that. Thank my brothers and sisters. In Jesus, in Jesus Christ is the foundation of a guaranteed eternal life. How is faith in Jesus Christ the foundation of a guaranteed eternal life, you might ask? Well, our text answers this question by telling us two things about faith. It tells us what faith is, and it tells us the benefits of faith. Let's take a look at the first one. What faith is? Verse 1, part A. Now faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, my brothers and sisters, what is faith? Faith is an attitude. It is an attitude. Verse 1a, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is an inward attitude. Confident assurance 
and firm standing conviction about what is not present, but that which is confidently expected. What we hope for, in other words, what we do not see. So, even though we may not be able to see a thing with our natural eyes, the author says the level of our faith becomes the evidence, the confirmation, the reality of the things hoped for. Faith is the foundation that supports the things hoped for. Throughout my life, I have planted seeds of various kinds. Before I planted the seed, I had to I had to prepare the soil by digging up the weeds and removing them, breaking up the ground, mixing either fertilizer or fish or their entrails into the earth. I then separated the earth into rows of mounds, and after I did that, I took whatever seed I had and made little shallow holes in the earth, and I with my finger, and I dropped the seed into each hole that covered the seed with the earth. I made certain to water and water that those seeds every week because I didn't want them to dry out. I wanted them to have every possibility of growth. So a few weeks later, after a couple of weeks, or so I noticed plants starting to come up. And a few weeks later then, after that, they began to flower. And then shortly after that, the flowers fell away, and I was able to see the fruit. Now, the fruit wasn't ripe. It was green, but it was there. And then eventually, the fruit matured and was ready to be picked and eaten. From a spiritual perspective, a person's heart is the soil and God's word is the seed that is planted in the human heart. The soil or our soul preparation is the work of the Holy Spirit. The seed that is planted, so the work of the Holy Spirit in my soul, making it possible for me to internally receive by faith. Uh, the truth of the Word of God. It's hard to picture yourself as a heart, as a, as a, your heart, your spirit, your soul as soil, and that the Holy Spirit, therefore, for being the gardener or the caretaker of your heart, but He is. He is. Oh, I love this. So by yielding myself to the internal work of the Holy Spirit of God, my faith in what God says in his word begins to grow. My growth, then, is the direct result of the Holy Spirit working within me, but also my belief in God's word. As my faith and my belief grows, my faith grows. And as my faith grows, the more I make up my mind to trust Christ. Faith is an attitude based on the truth of God's word. And then, of course, what faith is, faith is also a spiritual perception. Verse 1b, and the evidence of things not seen. 
The stimuli to faith is the hearing of God's word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Apostle Paul questioned to the, the churches of Galatia was this. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Faith is our foundation. It is our foundation uh, and our belief in Jesus Christ. Only by the hearing of the Word of God can one gain insight into the reality of the unseen. That is to sift God and work in one's life. Verses 3 and verse 27 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made by the things that are visible. Verse 27 says, By faith we understand, excuse me, by faith he, meaning Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured great obstacles and obeyed the word of God with great courage and conviction. If you're going to make it as a believer, you're going to have to spend time in the word of God. You're going to have to spend time in prayer with God. You're going to have to study. And you're going to have to really think on the word of God. You're going to need to worship him. You're going to need to fellowship with other Christians so that that will help you grow in your Christian walk. You cannot make it on your own. You need to take time to spend with God. And you, and you need to be able to stand when people make fun of you. Call you Jesus free, call you Bible pumper, call you Holy Roller, whatever they call you. You must be willing to stand. And even if they threaten to take your life, if you don't deny Jesus, you need to be willing to give your life, but you need to stand. People have more respect for you if you are standing on your conviction than if you just waver on your conviction. Either you are for Christ or you are not for Christ. Be real and with yourself. Be honest with yourself. So evidence is the conviction of truth and proof of God's word. As a department head at the Navy Marine Corps Non-Review Activity, I supervise military and civilian personnel. One of my employees was a less than stellar performer. Giving you another question here of how the person on the perception here that faith is a spiritual perception. So just, just hang in there. The individual will call in at the last minute and say, I think I'm going to have a migraine, so I'm not coming in. Really. I will give that individual work to do, and when, that, when, when the work was submitted, it was full of constantly going back repeatedly for him, for, her, for, him, for him or her to correct. Over time, I had a mass multiple folders of notes on this person's behavior and performance. The person came into my office and even challenged my faith, and you call yourself 
you ain't no Christian. I began to pray for that person. God, I said, I don't hate this person. I don't hold any bitterness or animosity toward this person. This person has a family. This person has children in school. This person has bills to pay. That person needs to take care of their family, God. I forgive that person. Please help that person be able to take care of their family and meet meet that person's needs. That's what I was praying for this person. So you have to learn to apply the word of God. God says, pray for those who despitefully abuse you and abuse you. Don't, don't put them down. Don't talk about them. Don't mistreat them. Don't talk about them like a dog. And that's the way the world does it. But God says, when your enemies do those things, you pray for them. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they need something to drink, give them a war. Give them something to drink. Only don't abuse them. Don't fight them. Don't fight them. Don't cut them out. Don't do any of that. Just pray for them and forgive them and pray for them. One morning after a meeting, I walked back into my office, and I noticed that the person wasn't there. I also noticed that the person had taken their family picture that was before prominently displayed on their desk. So I turned to my boss, and I said, this person's family family picture is gone. And I said to him, I don't think that person is coming back. Shortly after saying that, making that statement, the person called and said they were resigning their position. If I had not prayed as God's word instructs us to do so for our enemies, that individual would have continued to be an administrative burden to the command and to me. Instead, God cleared the way for us to hire a person with an excellent attitude and work ethic. That new person was willing to learn and grow while the other person wasn't. The new person wasn't combated while the other one was. We may not be able to understand how praying for one's enemies will benefit us, but when we stand on the foundation of faith and trust in God to do what he says, he will do what he, we will see him do awesome work. In our lives. God, when we do what He tells us to do, He will do such all the work that He will allow us to see that, and how we will do that will be amazing. And we will be amazed at how our lives will change if we just do what He tells us to do. This is the difference, my brothers and sisters, between believers in Jesus Christ and unbelievers, those who believe just in the world and the things of the world. That unbeliever, the unbeliever is like a man who is too lazy to dig through the earth to find the solid foundation upon which to build. But the wise man develops seven character keys upon which to build his life. Those seven character keys, faith in Christ, mutual respect for others, truth, integrity, knowledge, wisdom, and perseverance, which stemmed from hearing the word of God became the superstructure he used to build upon his faith. Faith being, therefore, the foundation. Without faith in God's word, 
he could have never become successful. If you and I as believers truly believe and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, if we truly believe by faith in him, and if we stand on his word in spite of what things look like on the outside, but trust him in all things, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, your life will turn out much better than you can imagine. The other point I wanted to the other point I wanted to mention to talk about is the benefits of faith. We'll have to get to that on the next week. But nearly everything we do, we use some degree of faith. Faith in the world system isn't the same as faith in God. Nor are the benefits the same. Faith in, in the world system might get you somewhere with a little effort. But eventually, that's all going to fade away because it's all temporary. The earth is temporary. Everything in the earth is temporary. It is just a shadow. It is just an image of what is in heaven. So, except the devil is not there, except hell is not there, except sickness and disease are not there, curses are not there in heaven. So, we'll address the benefits of faith on next Sunday, but this week, as you go about your routine, Take time out to ask God to strengthen your faith. What that means is that, God, I want to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to you. I don't want to live the way I've been living. (coughs) So, today, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you do not know him in the forgiveness of your sins, I'm here to tell you, he will forgive you of your sins, and he will give you eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here and you don't know him, come to the altar. No matter where you are, come to the altar. But if you're at home, we, we will be praying with you. If you just, I may not be able to see you, but raise your hand, if you will. Lift your hand to God and say, God, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ on this morning. I don't want to live another day without you. I need you. My life has been a mess. And even though it seems like my life is in order, God, you see the inside of me and you know what kind of turmoil I'm dealing with on the inside. I need your help, God. I need you. So pray. God, our Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you will forgive me of the sins that I have committed. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, into the world to die for my sins. That Jesus hung on the cross and became a curse and my sin bearer. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior and be my Lord. And I promise you, from this point forward, as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life. If you pray that prayer, then the angels in heaven are worshiping and praising God right now. Secondly, if you are looking for a church home and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of this ministry, this is where I want to be. 
this is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home. On my way to my heavenly home, we would love for you to be a part of this ministry. We welcome you. Thirdly, if you had a relationship with Christ but somehow fell out a relationship with a fellowship with him, he says, return to me because I am married to you. Go backslide. But he's willing to receive you back if you want to come back. He loves you enough to give you another opportunity, wherever you are. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. All that matters is who he is, what he, where he's been, and what he's done. Give your life to Christ on today. Return to him on backslide. If you're looking for... You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.